The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast dedicated to fashion, the art of living well, and all things beauty. I'm your host, Dr. Shirley Madair, the founder of the Holistic Plastic Surgery Philosophy and your purveyor of this definitive source of living a beautiful life. In this podcast, I like to have intelligent and fun discussions around some of the things that I love and that move me with joy, namely fashion, art, wellness, and the many faces of beauty, including plastic surgery. I engage in conversations that inspire, motivate, educate, empower, and help to make the world a more beautiful place. I keep it refreshing and real, educational and entertaining, scientific and fabulous. This week's episode is dedicated to knowing that everything happens timely with divine precision. The title of this episode is Fashion Refresh, Retail, Resale. This is my interview with Lauren Wilson. Lauren Wilson is adept at marketing. She's also well-versed in the arts and luxury goods. Her resume reads like an illustrious fashion wish list. She is currently the founder of Dora Mar, a luxury pre-owned resale site. But prior to becoming her own boss, she was the business development manager at Moda Operandi, a marketing coordinator at Christie's Auction House, the entertainment industry relations assistant at Gucci, a PR associate at Ralph Lauren, an editorial intern at Vogue, a fashion and shopping intern at Elle, and a press office intern at Jimmy Choo. But wait, there's so much more. Her formal education took place at the University of Southern California, New York University, and the University Paris-Sorbonne. She's major. Brains, beauty, fashionista, style, and she works every level. She joins me today via StreamYard to discuss discovery, inspiration, and intentional fashion. Welcome, Lauren. Congratulations. Oh my gosh, Shirley. <laughs> Can I please copy and paste this on my LinkedIn page or something? That was <laughs> such a wonderful intro. I'm not worthy, but um, thank you for that. I'm really excited to chat about all things fashion, which we both love. So yes, you are, you are beyond worthy. Congratulations on all of your success. And once again, thank you for your time. And thank you for becoming a beautiful member of the Forever Fab community. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. All right, let's get in it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So basics first, where are mm -hmm. you from? What was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? Tell me more. Tell me more. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I always say I grew up in, in Phoenix, Arizona, which I did, but I actually was born in the Bay area and that's where oh. my parents grew up. That's where they fell in love. And then we moved to Phoenix, Scottsdale area when I was seven. So 
my friends in California make fun of me when I say I'm a California girl because I'm really an Arizona girl. Um, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, yeah, I was, I mean, on the West, the West side of the country and then, um, you know, have been in New York for 10 years. So I've kind of, I like to say I'm bi-coastal, but, um, you know, we're, we're slowly getting there. (laughs) You're a New Yorker girl, 10 years, New Yorker, Yorker. 10 years, June 18th, June 18th, June New Yorker. Yeah. That's a party. (laughs) I want to do a party. (laughs) You know, my parents live in Scottsdale. I really enjoy Scottsdale. I didn't know that. That dry heat is something special. I love, I mean, it's great for the hair because it's not frizzing out. I know. Um, and it is just tranquil and beautiful and it it's, is. it's definitely where I go to, to recharge. So Good for you, we'll get to, place. we'll get to recharging in your wellness routine at the yeah. end of this conversation. But do you remember when it was your first fashionable moment or your first fashion experience that where a light bulb went off and you had an aha moment, like, oh yeah, this is for me. It's so funny. Like I don't, that question is so hard to pinpoint. I will say that my love of like beautiful things came yeah. from my mom's mom. So she was, you know, the best way to describe her is a Georgia peach. She grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and then eloped with my grandpa, who is a Puerto Rican from New York. They ran <laughs> off to California and eloped. Um, <laughs> so yeah, American dream story there. Um, yes. She loved costume jewelry and feathers and pink. And so when I was like a little girl, we'd, you know, go through a costume jewelry and she would do these like really absurd photo shoots. I had big ring lady hair. So we put all these things in it. And just, we just had so much fun. And I think I fell in love with like the theatrics and the drama mm-hmm. of dressing up then. Yes. And it just kind of seeped into, you know, like, as you go into middle school, when you get dressed for middle school dances and then there's like prom and high school. And I just always loved the escapism, I guess, of yes. fashion. And then I didn't realize the career path until I really got into college. Um, but always loved beautiful, fun things. I agree with you 100%. And, and to echo your words, the theatrics and drama of dressing up. I mean, when I dress up, I, I go into mode. You know, it's just like, there's a mind shift. And people think it's really su- you know, superficial and superfluous. It, it really isn't. I mean, you go into mode because you think about what you want to wear, what you want to, what story you want to tell, who you want to be. So I love that. You're, would you say that your grandmother was the one who taught you about that and she was your sort of inspiration for fashion? My original muse, I will say, yeah, I think I, you know, Dora Mar is built around, and I know we'll get into that, is built around this idea of the power and the transformative yeah. nature of fashion, essentially. And so she definitely set the stage for me when I was, I don't know, five, I guess. What an angel. I mean, <laughs> yeah, she is. Yeah, she is. I wish she could see Dora Mart to what it is today, but she's looking down and, and seeing it. So she's seeing um, it, sister. She's, she's seeing, seeing it. it. She is. She is. <laughs> she's very proud of you. you. Now, you have experience in the art world. Do you consider fashion to be a form of art? That's such a good question. I actually Thank just you. sat down with, with one of our newest muses. Um, she was a former chief external relations officer at the Met for the Costume Institute. And so we had this yes. whole discussion you know, is fashion art and what kind of fashion is art? And I think fashion at the highest of levels can be seen as art, right? There's, yeah. there's people who are, you know, spending, you know, talking to our authenticator at Dormar, a person spends like 60 hours making a Birkin bag, one person like hand molding the, the handles and painstakingly figuring out how the hide is going to lay on, you know, whatever skin they're making the bag out of. So um, fashion at the highest levels takes an artistry. I, you know, when you look at fast fashion, that sort of thing, that's really just a commodity. But I think fashion um, can be considered art um, with a certain kind of uh, story behind it and a context behind it. Now, in what ways has your formal education contributed to your understanding of the art and fashion industries? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I think I majored at USC in communications minus minored in business and like, you know, hindsight's 2020. I wish I kind of took on an art history. Um, <laughs> we, I all did. we all everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm like, should I have just done business? Cause like, you know, the numbers wouldn't be such a, a headache to me these days. Yeah. Um, but I think when I studied abroad in Paris, so that was like a six month program when I was a junior and I was at the Sorbonne and, you know, took a lot of art history classes and language classes and, um, you know, just understanding how art and fashion and culture all play into each other um, was something really special. I remember my parents came to visit like a month before the program was over and I took them to the Louvre and I was talking about all the art. And my dad's like, well, finally, I feel like tuition's paid off because <laughs> you're taking me to the Louvre and I'm learning things. Um, That's hilarious. But I think, you know, being at somewhere like, you know, Los Angeles and then NYU for grad school, you're just yeah. surrounded by people who are doing incredible things and moving the needle and innovating and thinking of yeah. things in different ways. And so I think, you know, the classroom's great, but all the people around you are what has taught me the most that, um, you know, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm taken and brought to my career. So, um, it's always evolving. You're always learning. I'm learning to this day. Right. And that's what's yeah. important about the people you surround yourself with. Very true. I do think that is one of the values of higher education. I mean, yes, the content, of course, that's what it's supposed to be. But the connections that you make, the people that you meet, you never know who is going to become a mentor, a partner. So I do think that is one of the great things about higher education. Actually, all education, period, end of story, no yep. matter how high you go. So yep. this may be redundant because you sort of answered it a bit, but let me formalize it a bit with this question. Why fashion and what does fashion mean to you? Ooh, why fashion? I mean, am I killing you with these questions today? <laughs> I so I will say, I will say, when I went, so I've always you are. I'm like, wow, these are like you know these questions, of the, you know, questions of the don't, world. Um, don't ever yeah. let anyone say fashion is like not intellectual. Okay, no, <laughs> I've I've gone to too much school to say otherwise. Um, <laughs> I um, oh my gosh, wait, rephrase the question again, so I can yes, so, I can so think about it. Why fashion? I mean, you're you're, high, yeah. you're very cultured. You're you're highly educated. You are worldly experienced. You could have chosen anything. Why fashion? And what does fashion mean to you? So why fashion? I think that I just felt like there was no, not that there was no other path, but there was no other path that I felt really excited about. I remember being at other jobs in my career, whether it be an internship or a full-time job where the, the role wasn't necessarily straight in the fashion yeah. industry. And not that I didn't love it, um, you know, I, speaking specifically of Chrissy, it's a wonderful place to work. I have the best colleagues, best coworkers, learn so much. It's a crazy, historical place to work. Yes. But I love the craziness of the industry. I, I felt <laughs> like when I was there, I missed, I missed the excitement and how, you know, people are moving a million miles a minute in fashion. And I missed that aspect. Um, and that's when I jumped to Moda and fell in love with this idea of being you know, creating something from nothing and kind of yeah. moving the needle. And that's what fashion constantly does. And that's where fashion kind of differs from art, right? It can move more yes. quickly. And um, that's a blessing and a curse sometimes. Yeah. Um, but fashion to me, yeah, I, I mean, again, it's back to that idea of escaping, escaping mm -hmm. your, not even yourself, but like becoming the best version of who you want to be. Um, I think that's something that, that fashion is, is powerful. You know, I've now starting a company have been thrown into kind of understanding how to fundraise and what it means to raise capital for your business. And I use fashion as a big part of that. When I have a pitch, I put on a Chanel jacket that I got from Adore Marmuse. That's Arcanian. right. He was, yep, exactly. He was, at, he was a Vogue <laughs> style director. 
He wore the Chanel jacket in meetings with Anna Wintour and Victoria Beckham because he went to VB after Vogue. And that jacket symbolizes like fashion power to me. And I will wear it for big pitch moments because it really transforms me into this CEO that I know I can be. Yeah. Um, and it helps me, it helps me get there. So um, that's, that's why I love it. It's just, it brings out the best of who, who you are, I think. So that black Chanel jacket is your proverbial red suit. Ex- exactly. And it also was Edward's first Chanel jacket. It's my wow. first Chanel jacket. So it's just got, it's just, it's more than a jacket now. Yeah. It's a piece of fashion history and whoever owns it next, I'm not giving it up, but if someone, <laughs> if I did give it up, <laughs> you would obviously give it to me. Yeah. I, like, Shirley, no, you've got am- amazing things. You don't need another <laughs> Chanel jacket. But... <laughs> oh gosh. Now what, now speaking of, um, fashion allowing you to be the best version of yourself or allowing you to perceive the best version of whom you want to be, what messages do you believe clothing may convey for or about women? I mean, just in in broad terms. Yeah. I think fashion is freedom. Whether, Uh, you know, yeah, it is. It is. And I think whether that means you're dressing modestly, you're showing off some skin and, you know, a bandage dress, body con is in, shop it on Dormar. We got a whole curation. But um, I think Fashion is freedom and it, and you know, whatever you're wearing, even if you're not statement making, you are saying something about who you are. Um, and there's so much power in that and it should never be looked on as frivolously. I think that's something that we studied a lot when I was at NYU and did my master's in costume studies. Like why has fashion historically been relegated to women because of the frivolity aspect, but there's mm. a lot of power in that. And um, it's been underestimated right throughout history, but, um, that's just cause it's too powerful to handle for some, for some guys out there. So, um, yeah, I would say it means freedom and power for me, at least. I love fashion history. And I was recently in London, went to the VNA and saw the Gucci mm-hmm. men's exhibit, men's wear mm-hmm. exhibit. Oh my yeah. gosh. I mean, that's men incredible. have definitely historically used fashion and they don't have to be dandies. I mean, they have historically used clothing and fashion to convey certain things. So it's not just for women. Yeah. Um, but I love that you said um, fashion is freedom. So if fashion is freedom, how do you define style? Ooh, fashion and style, the, like the other hot debate. Right? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think style is, is stepping into who you are, right? I do, a fashion is uh, fickle, and I don't mean that in a bad way, right? But it constantly changes. One season this is in, one season that's in. You're like, oh, shoot, I've got to change up the whole wardrobe. got to give it to Dormar, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> Style, style is the essence of who you are, right? Like you, I mean, let's talk about, I mean, this person is not a fashion icon, but Steve Jobs, he always wore a black turtleneck. That's his style, right? That's his signature. That's who he is. And, um, style is different for everyone and it doesn't, it doesn't adhere to trends or, or things like that. It adheres to who you are at the core. So it's an, you know, it's an important, and style can change too. Maybe you're one thing at one point, another thing at another point, right? But, um, it's, I think at the core of who you are. Yeah, I like that. Now, what did you think was missing in fashion that led you to create Doramar, that led you to create your own company? That's a really good question, too. Um, Thank you, Doug. I think <laughs> I did not set out to be an entrepreneur at all. Um, it just wasn't something that I kind of dreamed about necessarily. I think being at Moda, you know, I joined Moda, it was seven or eight years old. So it wasn't startup, startup, but, you know, there was still, it wasn't as as old as some of the other platforms like Net-A-Porter or that sort of thing. So we were creating a lot of things and departments and initiatives that hadn't ever been done before. And I got bitten by that starting mm. things from scratch idea. 
On the side, while I loved Moda, I also would shop resale a lot because I love the unique pieces. Obviously, there's, you know, you can get things for for a better value, but I thought this is so unfair that I'm working at Moda and seeing these amazing trunk shows and stories and um, you know, LSD's putting together these beautiful curations, and then I go to other resale platforms and it's like I'm digging through Goodwill. Yeah. When at the end of the day, it's still like, you know, it's still Valentino product or Gucci product, yeah. whatever it is. Why is that experience for a resale client so much less curated and thus I thought less trusted? Like, where are these things coming from? What's the story behind this piece? That's why clients at Moda or Net-A-Porter or Matches will pay a premium because you're buying into more than just a piece of clothing. You're buying into a story, a collection, a designer, whatever that may be. And I thought this resales has so much happening, right? It's sustainable. Yeah. It's values driven. There's a lot of excitement around it, but I don't think anyone's doing it right within the luxury space. And I think working at Moda and and working with amazing women um, like yourself and, and LSD and Lauren Levison and all these people that had great things to share, I wanted to create a platform where their stories were heard. And so Dormar was born kind of because I wanted it for myself. Yeah. <laughs> Good um, for you. And I think I think other people have have too. And so um, it's a it's a real labor of of love. It really is. I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you too. But my story, when you see some of my things, you're gonna be like, "Oh, Dr. Shirley's a hot mess. Her story's messy." But you know no, what? I, well, I that's, appreciate that's my part mess. Of, exactly. That's part of what makes it exciting. This is what makes fashion <laughs> exciting. <laughs> was it challenging as a woman and a woman of color to enter into the business of fashion? Because clearly what you've created is not just fashion, right? There's a whole business model behind it. So was it, what were some of the challenges that you met with and were any of them related to gender and your culture? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm going through that right now. And I think, unfortunately, this is not, you know, raising up women and raising up women of color as female founders is, mm. is not going to be changed overnight. No. Um, that stat of, you know, 2% of women receive venture funding. Um, it sounds just like, Oh, that's a sad stat, but it, you know, going through that whole process, you, you can see it, you, you know? And I think, yep. unfortunately, I think it's great that so many funds and investors, and that whole ecosystem are being really vocal about knowing they need to change. Yeah. But I think, unfortunately you look, you know, at the landscape of, of founders and, successful founders and founders that have exited. And it's a lot of one type, right? It's a lot of um, white men. And so I think as much as people want to change, there's still this inherent bias of can a woman and specifically a woman of color, uh, does she have the, the the grit to take it all the way, right? And I don't think they mean to do that. I think it's just, it's a massive generational shift that's going to have to occur. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, we're right in the thick of it. So I don't, it's not, it's not easy. Um, but I think, you know, I believe wholeheartedly in what we're doing. And we had this big team meeting the other the other day and um, none of my team is white straight guys. Um, we're a very diverse team. And so our purpose really is, you know, changing the fashion landscape, but also, you know, for the future generations to see their themselves in a startup, right? That we all can kind of contribute to something bigger than ourselves and, and hopefully change the landscape for, um, you know, other women and, and other people of color who want to pursue something like this as well. So um, so that answer is a non-answer because it's not, it's not, it's still, it's still a work in progress, but it definitely, yes. it's, it's not, yeah. it's no easy thing. And I don't want to sugarcoat that at all because it's really hard. Yeah, it is really hard. And, and I was, I was there with you in the same position. Oh, I don't know, 
15-ish years ago after I started my practice, um, I needed funding, right? Because I needed an office space. I needed equipment. I needed all sorts of things. You know, it's a $100,000 malpractice bill. It's like, oh, okay, I need funds. Um, But it was very um, sobering to go into different financial institutions. And no matter what my credentials, no matter how I looked, no matter how I dressed, um, it was probably, I felt, I sensed the no before they gave, you know, sat me down and gave me the spiel. So yep. it's, it's, it's very, yeah. So I'm glad a little bit has changed, but I'm sure not much, but yeah. Onward and upward. Onward and upward. You founded Doramar on the principles of discovery and inspiration. And I love that you said that, that, that on your website. So tell me a little bit more about your business, business model. Someone is going to go to your site and how do they know what to do? How does Doramar help to solve some of fashion's you know, biggest problems, namely accessibility and sustainability? Yeah. Well, so it's all about this concept of the muse. So when you go on Doramar, I mean, you can shop by dress and that sort of thing. But the way that we're really wanting people to shop and the way that we're, that we're kind of training these consumers, it's all about style first. So we're bringing that word style again. Um, everyone on the website and every product on the website is tied to a name. And that name represents a closet and a person. And um, I think for me, thinking about sustainability, mm. uh, you know, fashion's what the second most pollutant industry in the world, I think, behind gas. Like, that's insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love seeing so many sustainable brands and clean brands kind of pop up. But I do worry that a lot of it is a marketing gimmick. Um, and I do worry that, you know, one off purchase from a sustainable brand doesn't change the industry. I think no. you've got to change mindset. And so when I think about luxury, right, I think other resale platforms have really captured that kind of like thrifter, value shopper, that person's already been covered. I don't think the true luxury consumer is searching on those resale platforms. I don't think they're shopping on those resale platforms the way they're shopping another platform. So really, the the customer that I want to capture is that luxury consumer where they're shopping, you know, XYZ primary market, you know, e-com storefronts, and then they're also shopping Dormar because it's about unique special statement pieces. Um, from these women that are, you know, aspirational, influential, and carry a story. So again, it's not just a Chanel jacket off the rack, it's a Chanel jacket that was worn, you know, at meetings with Anna Wintour, it becomes like a collectible piece. Um, and so I want that discovery process to really lend itself to dressing, you know, head to toe and and what we call archival, I kind of try to sometimes lean away from resale or secondhand. And we really call it archival, because to, to me, archival means you're storing it for a reason, it's got some piece of fashion history behind it. So it should be preserved and it should be shared. Um, so I kind of just forgot where I was just going with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> that answered it pretty oh, discovery, well. You know? Discovery. Yeah. <laughs> discovery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's all about, it's all about pers- personality. I think something that we're trying to do with like tech is, and you know, it's like a, it's a slow roll, but essentially like, you know, Dr. Shirley, if you come on Dormar and you like my closet, like what other closets should you be seeing that, you know, have similar styles or designers, or um, maybe you're not my shoe size, but another muse is who has a similar yeah. style to me. So again, it's all about building building a wardrobe rather than just finding a one-off piece. Got it. I love it. I love it. Now, why Dora Mar? Why choose her as your muse and the namesake of your company? I wish I had like a better story about how she came to be. I think the story gets better after we decided on that name, but yeah. I, I kind of almost quit the company after six months because like we couldn't find a name. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but seriously, the name, <laughs> the name meant a lot. Cause I wanted it to mean something. I wanted it to look really chic, but I didn't want to just be like 
you know, fashion.com. Like I, I right. wanted it to be a little deeper than that. Yeah. Um, and then one of the guys on our team who he's like the strategy guy and he never sits, he never sat in on any of the branding meetings. He was like, what about Dora Mar? And I loved the four letters, you know, in each of her uh, first and last name. Yes. And then we had already come up with this muse concept and I was like, oh my gosh, she's a muse, but she kind of reclaims muse because she is an artist in her own right. And unfortunately That's right. her, her association with Picasso is what most people know her as. But I yes. think recently like, the Tate did an exhibition on her and she was a photographer and she was a surrealist artist. And so, um, and she, she was a really good artist and had a really interesting story. And, um, so, and I think this idea again of, of art and provenance is how we look at Dormar with the archival portion of, of the business. So it just all, it all made sense. And now I'm reading a ton about her and apparently she wore a ton of Balenciaga in the thirties in Paris. And I'm like, where, where are those pieces? Because yeah, right? that's what I want to get my hands on. <laughs> and some yeah. museum someplace. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I gotta, I gotta scour those, but, um, yeah, we, so now she means a lot. She means a lot to me. And yeah. I was at the Met a couple, maybe last summer, and there was an exhibition on female photographers. Mm. Um, and there was something by her. And I just like kind of stood staring at that picture for a long time. Cause it's like, it's just so crazy how me and this woman just, and she's yeah. dead for a long time now, but like our, our lives have intersected in a way and she's, she's changed my life. So you never know how you're connected to people. Exactly. Exactly. And, and speaking of female photography, um, if you really like that, there's an exhibit currently at Fotografiska on uh, Park Avenue South and in the 20s. And it's all contemporary, you know, female photographers. It's, and I think it may be. Yeah, there's also a nude exhibition, which has a lot of female photographers. But then there's we a went separate there. Yeah. As a, te- as a team. Yeah, we do Beautiful. kind of monthly team excursions. Yeah. And, oh, that's um, great. Love, love that place. And one of actually someone that I used to work with at Ralph Warren is a curator there. Oh, um, wow. which is always, that's why we love New York City, right? Everyone right? kind of circles back to each other. But yeah, Photographiska is beautiful. And we have a female creative director, so we're all about female creativity. That's wonderful. So basically, um, as a muse on Dora Mar, if you go in and you're like, oh, I like, you know, I love Lauren's closet. I love somebody else's closet. Do you believe that what you're also trying to engender is sort of a spirit of community and a, more of a social network for fashion types? Absolutely. I think that is, and that's what's exciting about being amused too, because you connect with like-minded people around fashion. And I think my, my favorite instance is when muses will kind of send over a conversation they had with a customer that bought their item um, because they share their story better than anyone else, right? We build this beautiful content, but the customer will see it and reach out to a muse and be like, okay, how would you style this? Or like, I'm going to XYZ event. I saw your like Stella jumpsuit, really thinking about it. And then the muse will kind of impart their their knowledge on them their fashion knowledge yeah. and um and then when that person wears that piece right someone asks oh my gosh I love your jumpsuit and there's like a whole story behind it actually I spoke with the woman who used to wear it she wore it at this event and styled it like this and then you know I did it like this and um so it does create this whole and that's where I think that the circular economy of fashion really comes into play it's not just in the disposability of pieces in and out but it's in the continuation of a story that yeah. I think a real change occurs in terms of you know recycling and sustainability and, yeah. and, and understanding the craft of things. I also love the community aspect of it. I mean, I have had a handful of friends throughout the years ask me, what should I wear to this? Tell me how to do this. Here's a picture mm-hmm. of this. Should I get this? And I'm thinking, I'm mm-hmm. not a stylist, but what, but, and I'm not a stylist, but I do find what is really endearing about your site is that it helps to engender the sense of community and, you know, people talking about, 
lots of things, right? But through fashion, it, it opens a conversation to friendship, acquaintanceship, whatever sharing. I think that's really a cool aspect of it. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. Now, you also described the intentionality of fashion, and I, and I really love that you focus on the intention of fashion. What does it say about a person who is mindful of his or her style, right? I mean, many of us on many days, I'm speaking for myself, you know, I'll just throw something on. But I notice that I feel differently when I'm very intention about, intentional about my fashion choices. So what do you think it says about someone who's mindful and intentional about what they wear? I think intentional is our term that we use for sustainability because you mm. have to think like when you're buying something and you're not being intentional, you're probably going to end up with a huge cart and you're going to get it at your house. If it's like an e-com order, you're either going to keep half of it and return the rest, or you're going to like forget to return it and it's sitting in your closet. And then in six months later, what do I do? Oh my gosh. Do I just, throw it out, that sort of thing. You were mm-hmm. unintentional with your purchases and that leads to waste. Yeah. So I think, you know, the muses on our platform, who we want to be a muse, who represents that muse is intentional. And the way that they've curated their wardrobes is similarly intentional. And so when a customer is shopping, they're intentionally buying something because it is extremely curated. And it's not just, Dormar is not a dumping ground. It, it is, really is not. It's very much telling a story about that muse and their closet and their style. And, you know, we've gotten brands on board too. And they're, you know, selling their merchandise in, in tandem with muses that, that, you know, represent their brand. And again, it, that's very intentional. You know, when a muse partners with a brand, that represents a bigger story. So it's never a place to just throw out things. That's definitely not how Dormar runs. And that's not how we want our customer to shop. Excellent. Excellent. Now, how do you choose what you're going to wear? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, today is a crappy Monday in New York City and it's super cold. So today was it is not, cold. It's not an inspired day. I mean, I think I always break my wardrobe into like evening or like day, what I wear, day wear, and then event dressing, which is like yes. way more fun for me. Yes. I think I, you know, we live in New York city yes. and you know, I live, I live downtown and our studios in Brooklyn. So I'm always commuting back and forth. I'm like, you got to be comfortable, right? I'm also really short. So I always love a little heel. Um, but I will say that my, you know, my day wears is pretty casual, right? It's a cute little jean, a little Manolo sling back and like a sweater or a little silk blouse or something like that. Evening. I like, just like you said, I love to channel someone. Like yeah. I love to think, okay, if the event is at XYZ place, you know, what is the history of that place? Who's been there before? Um, who can I kind of emulate and then kind of build the look from there? And I have, I have so much fun with event dressing. I'm so happy events are back. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> You've been listening to part one of the Forever Fab podcast with my guest, Lauren Wilson. Stay tuned for part two. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty, curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD. Live beautifully and help make the world a more beautiful place.